Welcome to Season 8 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Passionate about leadership education? You want to expand your resource toolbox with practical teaching, learning, and program design strategies? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Well, hi, and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I'm Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University, and we are in our eighth season. Happy eighth season, Dan. Happy eighth season, Lauren. <laughs> uh, so this season, we are focused on research and scholarship in the field, and we have been asking the question, you know, where do leadership educators go for research? This season, we'll talk to journal editors, we'll talk to those that manage publications for practitioners, we'll talk to scholars, peer reviewers, trying to paint this holistic picture of research and scholarship in leadership education. Today, um, our guests are Dr. Jennifer S.A. Lee, Professor of Management at Nazareth College, and Dr. Melanie Robinson, an Associate Professor at HEC Montreal in Canada. They're the co-editors of the Journal of Management Education, and in today's episode, we'll dive into their roles as editors of the publication. We'll talk and hear about their insights, what makes a great leadership article, what trends do they see in the field. We'll discuss the editing process and and what reviewers should remember when submitting their work. Um, Welcome to the show, Jen. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Oh, you're welcome. And welcome to the show, Mel. Thank you so much for having us. I'm so excited to chat with you guys today. Yeah, we're super excited to have you both on as well. Uh, So before we get uh, into the journal, uh, I would love to learn a little bit from y'all. Like, how did you get into your faculty roles? And then on top of that, how did that journey evolve into becoming a co-editor of the Journal of Management Education? Let's see. My journey to being a faculty member uh, began when I did my first master's program in organization systems renewal in Seattle. It was a program that was a branch campus of Antioch, and I was the second youngest person in the program. And it was a very uh, andragogy based method of learning, all narrative, no grades, very progressive. And um, I came in and there was content that I had learned as a recent undergraduate. I think I was 25 doing that degree. And most of my colleagues in that program were practitioners, uh, in the field, OD, talent development people, a wide variety of sectors. And so I was able to do spontaneous lectures because that's kind of the ethos. And and my instructors in the program and my classmates are like, you really need to be a professor. <laughs> that's kind of your calling. And so then I was able to find a, a degree that that fit at Boston College. And I always knew that I wanted to, to teach. I come from a family of, of teachers and educators. And so that's the that was sort of the the per- progression and destiny, as I say. In terms of the second part of the the question, becoming an editor, um, that's a very long process uh, to become an editor, and it basically starts with uh, getting you know getting enrolled with the journal. So the Journal of Management Education has been part of my identity as a professional since the very beginning of my career. I went to our sponsoring society, the Management and Organizational Behavior Teaching Societies Conference as a graduate student. And I was hooked on that community. This is our uh, our publication. 
And so as soon as I was able, I began reviewing. And of course, that community encourages people to become involved, submitting. And uh, so after a number of years, you know, sort of worked up the, the academic hierarchy of uh, academic journals many years as a reviewer. Uh, when you get a certain level of expertise, you're asked onto the board, uh, putting your time in for uh, probably eight years um, before moving into this uh, this role as the the co-editor. So it's a it's a long process. I hope that that uh, covers your two questions. That's quite a process. And real quick, just before Mel jumps in, that's where I had an opportunity to, I guess, to connect with you for the first time, Jen, at the MOBTS conference last year in Pomona. I wish I could be at the at the 50th. I'm so excited for y'all to celebrate the 50th at Jacksonville University in June. And it's funny that we shared a main connection because I think you at the first social uh, night, I think is uh, we just happened to just strike up a conversation, maybe waiting in line to get beer or wine or something. You're like, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm from from Wiscasset. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? I drive through, yeah, um, my daughter used to go to a school where we would drive through there every single day and they have the best lobster rolls in the state. And some would say New England, Reds eats there. And so, um, but yeah, we live just two towns over from, from there and what a small world it is for sure. And so it was just, and what a great community can't talk about that organization enough and so i hope, definitely hope our listeners will check out the uh, management and organizational behavior teaching society so yes so mel for me um i think it started when i realized during my master's thesis that i really liked doing research and i was doing my master's at concordia university did all my studies actually in montreal and now i work there too which is pretty exciting um, so I decided to continue doing the, the doctoral program and really started liking the teaching aspect and continuing the research. And what I realized um, in terms of management education focus is that very early on in that, that process, I really started liking to develop doing my first exercise. I was like doing a, a class as a doctoral student. I came up with an exercise and eventually got published. And that was like the first foray into the different elements of management education research, because I got to present it at a conference, I presented at the Academy of Management, got to know some of the people and got interested in JME and signed up as a reviewer and, and reviewed for a while before getting on the board and then spending a little bit of time as an associate editor. So it was a little bit of that process that started really early on when I decided that I really liked, in particular, doing innovations. And then it started becoming research too in management education. But yeah, it started really early and this idea of creating something new and the fun of that. <laughs> so that was a little bit of my process. You know, it's interesting because when we think research journal and editor, we don't think fun and innovative. But I love that y'all have described that as your experience. I think that's so important for people to know. It can be extremely fulfilling in terms of what you're you're creating, but the idea to really to to shape and influence the field and and to create scholarship that's so useful for other people. Um, I'm sure that feeling, you know. It, it helps to offset the nights when you're reading or, you know, negotiating with a reviewer or even like trying to, to just get a hold of the folks that are actually creating this scholarship. I'm sure it's got to be a great experience. Um, I'm wondering, though, so you talked about, you know, leading up, you both said you, you wrote and then you did peer reviewing. Kind of what skills or experience did you need to move to the editor role that maybe you didn't have and kind of had to acquire while y'all were kind of learning on the job. Like, you know, we know the writing and research part, but maybe like some of the management of the journal itself, like kind of what did y'all need to, to acquire as you were in, in that role? There are a lot of skills you need to be 
an editor and and there's different skills you need to be a co-editor. Um, I'll talk about the, the editor skills first for a bit. Um, number one is you need mentorship. I, I would never be able to be in this role if I hadn't received a lot of mentoring from the previous uh, co-editors, uh, Jeannie Foray and Kathy Lundeen. I received uh, lots of mentoring opportunities when I was an associate editor to join them at conferences, to see them present, to see how they worked with authors, um, talking with them offline. So mentorship is really important for all people who are interested in becoming an editor. I also edited um, and co-edited other types of publications before taking on this role. And so I think having practice opportunities was really beneficial for my um, trajectory into the role. But really, um, some of the skills you need are different than the skills you need to be a good reviewer and a, a good associate editor. So to be a good reviewer, you really need to understand the literature. You need to write a structured developmental review. To be an associate editor, you need to be able to do all that plus synthesis, plus handle um, really important dispositions and negotiate various views. Um, you need to know when to consult people for support and guidance. And then rolling up into the editor level, you need to be able to maintain all of those, but you also need to be able to learn to read manuscripts at different levels of depths. We get you know, between one and five manuscripts a day. Um, on average, it's about one to two a day. And you need to be able to screen things uh, efficiently with balancing all the many, many other roles of running a large global team. Right, you need to be able to manage meetings, and I'll let Melanie sort of talk about some of the other, that the roles and competencies, managerial and leadership for for editors. But to be a co-editor, um, you need really to be responsive to the the strengths and interests and needs of your of your co-editor. And this is a model that's growing in academia. I think it's a really good innovation for knowledge development and for work family balance it's very demanding to be an editor and um and it can be very lonely and so having a co-editor it's just it's it's a gift to have someone to collaborate particularly someone with melanie's caliber for me um, that is also a great collaborator so those are those are some of the things about being an editor and a co-editor yeah i would echo pretty much everything that jen has said uh, but i really wanted to actually mention that when i came into the role jen was already an editor and she's really been a huge mentor to me in the process and i've learned so much from working and she's so giving in terms of her time and feedback so i've been really grateful to have my first uh, editor position be with jen and learn so much from her in the process as well you know, did you all know each other well before ending up as co-editors? But I'm just curious. I mean, that some of these teams, it's funny because they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's like we, we've known each other for a decade, you know, and then sometimes it's like, no, we were just, you know, kind of serendipity happened. But then turns out it's a great working relationship. What was how did that evolve for you all? Well, actually, we would exchange by email because I was working as associate editor while Jen was already the editor of the okay. journal. So there, there was a little bit of that. But then we had an opportunity at Eastern Academy of Management last year to meet in person and uh, do a PDW together and have lunch and get to know each other. So that was a really fun opportunity to get to know Jen a little bit more before applying for, for anything. 
I'll also say we did have the opportunity to have a social visit when my family went on vacation to, to Montreal. We are able to visit as families. And that was also before Melanie took the role, but I think was really great for us to you know, get to to know each other as people, as part of a, a family system, right? Because now we talk multiple times a day, right? And she knows the cast of characters that I that I come along with. Um, that the you know the relationships you have with your co-editors and and also with your associate editors. This is very important because it's volunteer work, right? And that we do this because we're passionate and we care about it. And I think that having you know, um, meaningful relationships with with your team is pretty important, particularly through COVID, right? The the kind of uh, burden of continuing in these editorial roles has been quite challenging. And so really knowing what our team members need, what they were capable of, how to support them um, as they manage the many things that, you know, we know all of us had to, to do at various times throughout the last three years. So I think that relationship building is, it's uh, special in JME. I think it does exist in other journals, but it's also, I think, part of our broader MOBTS culture as well as being, you know, collaborative. Yeah. And, and you all have such a huge editorial team from all over the world of your associate editors and your review board and, and awesome team. And what an undertaking for you all too. So you know, I, I, it's funny. I love that y'all shared that you got to know each other socially because it makes me think about, so Dan and I have been doing this podcast for years and, and kind of how the podcast came about was we kept running into each other at conferences. And then this past year, and we, had, we hadn't seen each other for a few years, which wasn't normal, but there was no greater joy than seeing each other in the lobby uh, at ILA in October. And it's like, you don't realize like, as you're working, like, yeah, you're producing and you're doing these things, but you're building this social piece and this relationship piece. Um, and I was talking to my, my students in class, you know, I talked to the young folks, I, I teach undergrad and grad, but I was talking to my undergrad students and I'm like, you know, it used to be, you didn't really bring your work, your personal into work. You may have had like a picture of your family on your desk, but you weren't really talking about kind of what's happening in your life in the same way we are now, whereas their experience is kind of flipped. They will talk about everything under the sun and let you filter it out for yourself, you know? And so I, I just, I love hearing that there's, there's value, um, even as you're getting on into your career, there's value in that social, that connected piece in within the context of we're working together on these. I will uh, echo what, what Melanie said, that Jen excels at, at the social side of things when she uh, she was in town visiting family just a few weeks ago. And it's like, you know what? I'm in town. Let's meet for lunch. And so I got a chance to, to reconnect with with Jen to uh, at a great Indian restaurant. So uh, it was it was really good to to see you there for sure. Yeah. And I'm that person. Like if you offer me like, you know, if you're ever in town, you know, say hello. I'm that person. Oh, I will. You know, I I will. I will come say hello. I'll eat at your Indian restaurant. I'll walk with you. (laughs) I'll go to your favorite bar. Like I'm there. Love it. Love it. So so I guess um, diving back into some of the I guess some of the details around around the journal, you know, so. I was introduced to the journal as a doctoral student because my dissertation, I was investigating the uh, instructional strategies that faculty in undergraduate leadership programs were using in their practice. And there was 
at that time, I think I want to say I started doing my lit review, maybe 08, 09. Journal of Leadership Education was newer on the scene. There wasn't a ton of literature there. So I did find myself going into uh, a lot of the management education literature, the Journal of Management Education and some other journals, but a ton of my resources came from JME. And when I had an opportunity to actually work on a, on a book project with Kathy Guthrie, who's at Florida State University. We, we put together a book called The Role of Leadership Educators, Transforming Learning. With And uh, it had, I think there's seven or eight chapters that um, are the second half of the book that look specifically at like discussion pedagogies, case study methodologies, uh, simulation games, media, all these things. Again, pulling so much from JME. I mean, it's just loaded with practitioner forward investigations of the scholarship of teaching and learning. How is it effective? How we use it in class? And so just tremendous respect for what the journal has provided to the field over the years. And I've also noticed, you know, for those that are listening, like, well, I don't teach in a business program, but like, you'd be surprised how much you might uh, glean from the journal management education and how much overlap there really is between leadership education and management education. And there's a lot of folks that have a hand in both too. And there's a ton of organizational behavior, organizational leadership that is integrated into a lot of these articles. And there's special issues as well on certain types of of, uh, instructional strategies or pedagogies or andragogies. So I know I've kind of provided, I guess, uh, somewhat of an intro to that. But, you know, I mean, we all know that journals traditionally fill some specific scholarship need or area. What would you say that I didn't capture there? Like, what's the focus area for the journal? And I guess maybe too, like, what are you looking for, (laughs) for folks that are submitting manuscripts? Yeah, well, um, I just, I couldn't have, you know, uh, bribed you more to to do such a great setup of our our journal. Uh, we, We do all that. I like to think of us, you know, in, in management organization studies, we're situated in the social sciences, so we should have overlap with our adjacent fields, right? It's logical, Dan, that you found uh, literature, and Melanie actually has some great sort of summary uh, statistics uh, for us about our, our leadership publications. Uh, we are a, a journal that's interested in publishing material that um, is new and adds to the to the conversations that already exists in the field. So for us, the so what question is important. Um, we are looking for things that are empirically based in some of our sections and what we can go into the, the gory details of, of sections and the different opportunities for scholarship with us. And we want uh, articles that speak to practice. So all of our articles, have implications for practice that's very important for us that we want to use research to help make people's jobs easier, right? Um, it, and so that it creates um, informed shortcuts for what we need to be doing in the classroom. And I think, you know, Melanie has some, I think, very specific and insightful things to, to talk about. We can also break down in detail the, the sections of the journal, but I want Melanie to be able to go first. Well, we did a little bit of a search on the site to see when we put in leadership, how many articles are there related to to management education in JME that people who are listening to the podcast might be interested in. And it was really cool to see actually that when you put leadership in just the title portion of the search, we had 103 results from the portion and when I guess the, the entire catalog might not be there of everything in JME, but Jen, do you know what dates it starts at? I, I always forget. It, it, theoretically, it says 1975. I don't think that it has our entire backlog, um, but of the 
like 2,500 uh, cataloged uh, articles. That's the 103 just in the just in the title. If you do bigger, you get more numbers if you're going beyond the title into other search fields. I thought that was really cool to see 103 because it really shows that there's a variety too of instructional innovations for people who are interested in leadership and cool research that has looked at leadership in, in various ways. There was an article that was part of the special issue on experiential learning in large classes and other articles that look at leadership, leadership development more generally. Um, so that was kind of interesting to see how it breaks down into so many of the different types of sections that we look at at JME that we can talk about more later as well. Um, if I took just from 2020 to present, just picking up our current decade, if you will, um, there were 11 results just in the last two years of things that are published on leadership and a lot of instructional innovations and uh, research papers. So that was kind of really interesting to look at. And it made me kind of go back and look at some of the different exercises on leadership. Because one of the cool things about Jamie is that people bring such different perspectives to looking at many topics. I'm focusing on leadership here because of the podcast topic, but um, of all different areas. And it was just, it was interesting. There was an origami exercise by Sronson Ardent in 2009 and uh, one on mindfulness that came out in 2020, 2021, excuse me, by Sanyal and Riggs and one on an empowering leadership project that came out two years ago by Weber and colleagues, uh, one on leadership identity that actually won the Roethlisberger Award for that particular year which is exciting by Clap Smith and colleagues. And even going a little bit further back, um, it, it was fun because I reread an article by Cunningham that I really had really liked a few years ago when I read a Dr. Clay and Dr. Glass where, you know, you're presenting either a clay ball or a glass bottle to students and they have to kind of link it to what different leadership characteristics they associate. So it's a little bit more abstract. So it's just looking at leadership from all these different angles with all these different ideas. And it made me inspired as I was reading it for all different ways that I could approach it next time I'm looking at leadership in my classes. And so that was a little bit of a, a overview of what we saw in recent years. But one thing that I did find interesting, and uh, I'm sure you guys will like this too, when I put followership in the there was less, there was only 18. And that was what having it in all different areas. Now, followership is of course very important in the leadership articles as well, but the term itself followership came up less. So maybe that's a, an opportunity for anyone out there teaching on followership that wants to throw out an article to the journal to, to be considered. You know, it's interesting before we got on, we were talking and planning and there's a big followership conference coming up because that is definitely an emerging theme that is getting more attraction. So, so yes, we will happily share that message. We know we have folks that uh, are interested in and listen to it. So it definitely um, is an area of interest, you know, related to what you're just talking about, like, you know, like when you said origami, I teach uh, leadership courses and I'm always trying to get them to do stuff. And then we talk about the concepts. And so I love that you shared the origami piece because I'm like, hmm, I wonder how I can use origami to talk about followership or um, forming a group or all of these different things. You know, the, the doing gets them thinking about kind of focused on what they're doing. But what I'm interested in secretly is how are they interacting with each other, the supplies, the instructions, as we're learning about this different area of leadership, you know? And so, so knowing that there are good teaching strategies like that makes it easier to just be an educator simply because like the content isn't really changing, but how we deliver it has to change because the ways in which 
young people are engaging is changing. They they want to do more. And it's it's that's probably the most challenging part of my job is coming up with those innovative activities to get them engaged. You know, I've used everything from like basketball, um, plastic cones to, you know, paper from like the craft store to try to, to these concepts. So I love hearing that y'all readily have this available in JME. Oh, the origami one is so great. You'll love it when you read it. It's they, they ask people to create little origami frogs and they have different roles that they give to people. So that's so much fun. And there was one published just this year on ninja training, which I thought was amazing, this essay on it. So those are just a few samples of, of different exercises related to leadership, but it gives an idea of the breadth of approaches and ways that maybe people could be inspired to adapt them and use them in their courses. It's, it's relatable and it allows people to lower their guard. Meaning if I come in and say, or if I say, hey, like, let's look at this ninja training activity, I think students are going to be like, oh, like that's that's random. I wouldn't have put those together. And it makes it just as interesting. I think back to as a fellow Antiochian, I think back to when we were learning about, I don't remember what, I, I, I want to say it was like quantitative methods. Our instructor gave us a wine article to read, a wine journal article. And I was like, you know, I've taken a lot of like statistics, research methods classes. This is like this is classy. Like I really, the I really, you know, tip my hat to her in that space because she knew that that topic would just be interesting to talk about different methodologies. And so I love that those articles are there for, for us as educators, regardless of our discipline, to be able to use. Yeah, it's funny. I'm just going through some of the notes I had prepared for, for our conversation and just looking at all the different things that I've learned from and, and applied in my teaching practice from the Journal of, of Management Education and great articles on debriefing, on experiential learning, on simulations, on computer simulations, like doing team projects, like providing feedback in the classroom, classroom management, um, the classroom as an organization. But, and that was like a seminal article, I think from like the seventies. And I've definitely done that. And I know that we have uh, a faculty member in our uh, department that loves doing that and is doing that right now. And it's just, it's, it's just loaded with great stuff. Uh, another one, uh, improv theater techniques, which is like super fun um, to do. And that one came out, I think uh, maybe 15 or 16 years ago, but definitely, definitely take a look. I, and I'm curious, what are some of your favorites? Jenna Mel, that you've used in your classroom um, in the last the last few years that you came across from a journal article? Well, one that I've always really loved was from AMLE. I think it was 2011 by Shins and colleagues, where it's about teaching implicit leadership theories and you have to draw your ideal leader. And then there's a debriefing that goes along with that. Um, I, I use that a lot. It's so well done and such a great article. So that's one of my favorites. And I like to try out different ones from different um, journals at different points as well. So I've used a lot that I've read in, from different journals in my classes over time, but the Shins one is one that is Shins and colleagues, I should say, because I think there was three or four authors on the paper. Um, it, it's a staple <laughs> in my classes. It's just amazing. Jen, do you have some that you love? It's kind of like choosing amongst your your children, but I'll I'll flip the question and say that you know in preparing for this uh, session today um, and looking at our our more recent uh, articles related to uh, leadership, I'm really interested in digging into the uh, integrating mindfulness into leadership development, uh, wellness and mindfulness. This is a, a theme that I'm using within my senior seminar class and really helping students up their game in terms of this skill area is pretty important in a 
you know, ongoing slash post pandemic reality in which we operate. And so what's, what's funny when Melanie and I are writing our editorials, we'll divide up the articles that we've selected and then we, we give them a, a deep read. We maybe saw them, you know, several months previous when we're selecting them to go into the review, pro- review process. And it's such a delight to read these articles because it, it's like um, a holiday. Like, oh, look at this, this gift of these ideas. And we're able to think about who within our communities that these articles will, will speak to. And it's, it's almost distracting in a way because, you know, you can, there's so many things you can do in teaching and learning to make it more active, more experiential, more engaged for our students. And that's the real gift of being able to be in this role, right? We're, we get to be immersed in uh, not just the material that comes to us, but we're looking at the references, what's happening in the barter field, what's happening in AMLE that people are citing or management learning or DSJE or the Journal of Leadership Education, right? Uh, there's lots of great things happening and what a great time to to be able to use this because like you said, Lauren, you know, our students are asking for us to um, connect uh, with them and with the learning lots of different ways. I, you know, you can have the best content in the world, but if, you're, if your students aren't emotionally connected to you or to the, to the class process, it's not gonna go anywhere. And, and JME really attends to that, right? It's the process of learning. We're process junkies uh, for sure. You made me laugh because I always think of myself as a reformed, a semi-reformed slide junkie. So I still have the slides to kind of guide the process so that if you zone out, you at least know where we're coming back to. But I'm definitely that person that's like moving around the room and asking questions. Some of those good questions. Um, it you know, I love the the classroom examples you shared. And I wonder though, have you in your like experience, maybe in attending conferences or just chatting with peers heard of some like training and development or, or maybe like programming, like your student affairs personnel, like, have you heard like stories or examples? I can say that in, you know, more broadly, like in the management and organizational behavior teaching society, we do have uh, practitioners who have come to the conference historically, right? And they have come precisely because they wanted to have more engaged training ideas. So they were able to get those by being at the conference session and getting the journal is is part of attending the, the conference. And so I know that, that that's the case. And certainly many, many things that we develop um, in our instructional innovations, in particular, we, you know, we ask the authors to talk about you know, the audiences in which it's been used with, but also maybe to speak about other other audiences in which they they might be applied as well. And so I think, you know, for, for trainers who want to have a more lively environment or um, consultants, right, there's the, the material really can flex over a number of different settings. I hope that that gets at your question. I don't have like, you know, the raving endorsement from a, a particular person, but I know as a, you know, as a general history, we do have uh, a handful of people. I'd love to have more because I think it would help us as management educators to have more interaction across our divides, just like this podcast is super exciting, right? Getting out to your audience and connecting because what you're doing, we can now direct people to your literature and your fields, um, which will enhance our conversations and vice versa. The articles are just, they're so accessible. You know, I, I think that's, that's really been a helpful part of, of using 
and reading journal management education. And, and again, I'm just looking back at at the references from book. And I think we must have cited JME probably it looks like 25 to 30, 30 times in the in the text. And and again, everything from like using self-assessments and, and instruments to like using like feature films as pedagogy and you know, team projects and poetry. I mean, it's just all over the place. And it's it's interesting just to you know, sometimes you think, oh, business education is going to be really stuffy, but like, no, y'all are using, it's great that y'all have been really inclusive, such a wide variety of, uh, of pedagogy and andragogy. And I could definitely see if if uh, practitioners, yeah, I mean, certainly in corporate settings and training and development, but also folks in co-curricular spaces and student affairs practitioners, like these are, there's so much stuff you could pick up from uh, from these articles that you could readily put into workshops and things and uh, student affairs spaces too. Jenna, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you want to make sure to share with our listeners about the journal? We definitely have a couple things to to say about reviewing and also for authors interested in submitting to the to the journal, um, how to address the cover letter and communication. But I think per, first, if we can just take a moment to share the different sections of the journals to uh, maybe lay out the the groundwork of types of articles for people who might be interested in submitting or looking for material in those areas. And I'll go through these pretty quickly. You can find it all on the website. Uh, and I'll cover uh, three and then uh, Melanie can cover a, a couple as well. Uh, our, our kind of bread and butter is our empirical, theoretical, conceptual and review. That's the scholarship of teaching and learning where people have a specific hypothesis or research question. They're using an explicit and direct and systematic methodology to address that research question uh, related to teaching and learning topics. And uh, then they're reporting the results. It can be quantitative, qualitative, mixed methods. Um, reviews should be systematic and thorough. Conceptual pieces should be well-grounded, elaborated, and um, bringing together new ideas that are useful for us. So that's that section. That's about 75% of our submissions. Um, another category that um, we think is, it's a little unique to our journal, although other journals have it um, more broadly, is essays. This is a space where people, if they have a topic that um, is a provocation or a strong position that they feel should be argued, not through stream of consciousness, but through um, deliberative sharing of data from one's lived experience, as well as literatures that are relevant to the topic. We welcome those and we're preparing a, a series of these related to how grand challenges are um, presenting opportunities and challenges for us as management educators. Um, we can also have rejoinders and commentaries for those. So we're set, those are set up to have dialogue within the field and another unique one, which we think is, is helpful, is uh, instructional change in context. So this is a story of how you apply a teaching and learning methodology and the how you implement it. So it's emphasizing the change process of getting in a new approach to teaching and learning, which can be challenging. So we know there's established empirically supported approaches and, um, and not everyone is doing those. And um, what can we learn from people's process of implementing those in, in different contexts, uh, different settings? And so we think that's a unique opportunity that doesn't exist in other journals. 
But I'd love to turn it over to have Melanie talk about in Instructional Innovation Award. We've used a lot, but what we mean by that, and as well, our newest section, the interviews. Yeah, so the instructional innovations are exercises, activities that are experiential in nature that you've tested, you've used in many different contexts or within the same class, but many different times. And you want to share it with people and tell them how it went. And so what we try to do is ground those exercises in the relevant literature related to the concepts that we're teaching and, and the management education conversations related to whatever type of experiential activity is being demonstrated in, in that um, paper. And then it's really about breaking it down for people. So if you wanted to use it, if somebody wanted to use it in their classroom, how could they do it? How do you debrief it? What are the general reactions of students? What are some typical responses? What are the challenges that they face while they're trying to do the exercise? And how do you help them overcome it so that they maximize their learning? The key though for us, well, not just the key, all of those other aspects are important too, but one of the important elements is that there has to be data on its effectiveness. So we have to really show the learning. And, and the way that we do that can be quite varied. It could be qualitative data, quantitative data, but it's really to show that it was effective in the context that we use it. And maybe like Jen said earlier, propose some variations or other ways in which people could use it in other contexts, maybe that you haven't used it yourself in yet. So that's a lot of fun and allows people to really present their innovations and their creativity and share them with the community. The last section is our newest. It was launched just last year. It's an interview section where uh, the idea is that it's conversations with people who are impactful management scholars who have done something cool and interesting, have something important to share. It doesn't mean it has to be only a senior scholar within the field, but somebody who has something interesting that they wanna share and you interview them, that's the focal point of the article, but it starts also with a, an introduction to position the interview and where it, it contributes and also a commentary on the interview at the end. So that's really exciting. It's a, our brand new section. So we're hoping to see a lot more submissions to it as well. We would love to share this in our show notes and encourage folks. And, and I think it's so, it, it's wonderful to have the instructional practice piece there, but the interview, uh, and, and maybe it's just because I'm in the midst of like narrative in encouraged and how do you talk to folks? I, I think it's important to hear people's stories. Oftentimes we hear them at conferences or we have them in conversation, but more broadly sharing what people are experiencing is a great way to spark something in someone else or to give someone that, you know, I had the same experience moment and maybe foster some relationship building through the journal in different ways. I think this is awesome and we'll be excited to read more of the interview. We're excited to see more and more come in. And if anybody is interested in, in submitting an interview piece, they can always send us a small, what what do we say, Jen? Something like a hundred words, two hundred words. Like we're not asking for a giant overview of it, but they can send us an email beforehand, just so we can give a little bit of feedback. Of yes, this fits with the journal, or maybe it's a little bit less aligned with JME, etc. Before going through the whole process, so there's an opportunity for a little bit of feedback on the general idea beforehand. That's a great idea, great offer. Um, we wanna thank you so much today for spending time with us. Um, we know you could have been anywhere else, uh, but you chose to talk to us and share some great insight on the journal and your processes and roles there. Um, we are excited for you and look forward to reading future issues of the Journal of Management Education. Uh, we wanna wish you the best of luck this semester.
Thank you so much for having us. It was wonderful to meet you guys. And I hope to meet you at conferences coming up uh, this year as well. Again, a, a pleasure to have this time together. We will share some additional resources uh, with you too. For those folks who are interested and maybe have an idea or manuscript, we're having an online workshop this spring. Uh, we have some uh, special issues that will be coming out uh, in the next uh, few days that we're excited to share with the community and uh, a couple other resources. Uh, we welcome uh, submissions and engagement from your community of listeners. You're always welcome to email. Either of us will provide our emails um, to, you know, if you have an idea, but you want to test, we're happy to see abstracts. So we really love to start building relationships uh, with your community. And again, thank you so much. Our pleasure. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura JB. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at theleadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators, the Association of Leadership Educators and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org.